Thanks, Phil. I am excited about this word this morning. Psalms 24, verses 7 through 10 says this. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, Jehovah, He is the King of glory. Let's pray. God, this morning, we're so excited to be in this place, in your presence, together as one body, assembled as you designed it. God, may these words pierce our hearts. God, would they break them open like we just sung about, that our lives would be offered to you, that it wouldn't cost us It would cost us something, God, because you gave everything for us. God, I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil, that you could plant something in there today that will grow and that would bear much fruit so that we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, my prayer this morning is that we would never see a door the same way again that we would never just walk into a room without first understanding what we carry within us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So one day last summer, we were outside. It was a glorious day, one that we're praying for these days. Spring will come. Summer will come after that. I'm excited about that. But my little family, we were all outside doing some yard work, playing around, shooting the basketball. And Jules, my youngest, she's she was five at the time. She decided she wanted to go inside and get a drink of water. Well, she went to the front door and tried to open it, but it was locked. Well, in a five-year-old's mind, that's no big deal. She just skipped away and onto something else. A few minutes later, I noticed my son, and he wanted to go inside and get something and get access to the house, and he went up to the front door, and he tried to turn the handle, and it was locked, still locked. Interesting. A few minutes later, of course, my wife. She went up to the front door, and she turned the handle, and it was locked. And something in the back of my mind told me, I don't think it's locked. And I walked up to the door, and I turned the handle a little harder than the three of them had turned it. And the door opened up, and we had access to our house. You see, a stuck door is not a locked door. Doors are something we take for granted. Let me read you the definition of of a door. I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but work with me on this, okay? A door is a movable, usually solid barrier at the entrance to a building or a room. A movable, solid barrier at the entrance to a building or a room. Doors give us access to the next building or the next room in our lives. And we all have doors in our lives. Every day we walk through doors, some are actual physical doors, some are figurative doors, but daily each of us walks from one room into another room through a doorway. We either gain access or we do not have access if the door remains closed and locked. When you walked into this building this morning, you came in through a door. That's how you have access to this room. 
When you go home this afternoon, you're going to walk into your house through a doorway, and you're going to gain access to that room. When you walk into work tomorrow, you're going to walk through a doorway, and that's going to give you access to your workplace. Every day we encounter doors and we walk through doorways. Every day we either gain access or we don't gain access to certain situations. And we don't think much of doors until we get locked out, do we? Doors give us access. So go back with me for a moment to the Israelites in Egypt. The Israelites, they were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh had refused to let them go. They were his workforce. And Moses and Aaron, by the direction of God, they had brought all these miracles, these plagues upon the country. But still Pharaoh said he would not let the people go. His heart was too hard, the Bible said. Watch out for that. We have to have soft hearts for God to work through us. So God told Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron, he said, okay, this is the last straw. Here's what's going to happen. At midnight tonight, every firstborn son in the land of Egypt, from the lowliest of slaves to your generals, to you yourself, Pharaoh, every firstborn son is going to die. And there will be such a crying in the land of Egypt that you have never heard before or will never hear since. But at the same time, check this out, the Israelites who are living in the same land, it will be so peaceful for them that not even a dog will bark. Two polar opposites in the midst of the same place. That will preach. So then God instructed the Israelites, he said, from now on, starting tonight, one time a year, on the tenth day of this month, each family is going to choose a young goat or a young sheep for a sacrifice, one for each household. And this lamb or this goat must be one years old, and it must be male, and it must have no defects. It had to be the perfect lamb with no defects, the perfect sacrifice. And each family, after they had chosen the goat or the sheep, they had to take special care of it for four days until the 14th day of the month. They had to take this little goat, this little lamb, and lovingly take special care of it so nothing happened to this animal. And then together, the whole assembly would come together on the 14th day, and at twilight, they would slaughter their little goat or little sheep. And here are the instructions Moses said from God. Drain the blood into a basin. And with hyssop branches, you're going to dip them into the blood, and you're going to paint blood on your doorway of your house. And see, I'm going to send the death angel tonight through the land, and he's going to strike down every firstborn son in the land. But when he sees the blood on, on your doorway, on your doorpost, door he will not be permitted to go inside your house. He will pass over you and not strike you down. And there were more instructions. Moses said, be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal, the Passover meal, with urgency. Be ready, eat with urgency, because something is about to happen. Something is about to change in this place. And so the Israelites obeyed, and they did as they were told, and they painted the blood on their doorways. And just as God had told Pharaoh, the death angel came that night and killed every firstborn son in Egypt, from the lowliest of slaves to the captains and generals, and Pharaoh's own son died that night. 
but when the angel saw the door on the on the door or the blood on the doorposts he passed over those houses and every door that had that blood brushed on there was safe so there was terror in the land that night for the egyptians but in the very same land for the israelites there was peace and freedom they went to bed as slaves and they woke up free they were no longer slaves and it was all because of the blood on their doors and Moses said to the people remember this day forever remember this day when you left the place of your slavery today the Lord has brought you out of here by his mighty hand you are no longer slaves fast forward about 1500 years to Jesus He's at the same Passover meal, that same tradition that started that night in Egypt with his disciples in the upper room. That the same Passover tradition that those Israelites had been careful to celebrate for almost 1,500 years. And as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And he passed around a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood which is poured out. And it's the covenant, the new covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. And Jesus became the perfect lamb. He became the perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus says in Revelations 3, he says, I have opened the door for you that no one can close. He says, look, I stand at the door and I knock I'm knocking on the door of your hearts. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. He's saying, if you turn to me, I've become the all-time sacrifice that was required. I've taken your place. I've opened a door for you that no one will ever close. And I'm asking you, I'm standing at your door and I'm knocking. I'm saying, let me in. I can protect you from certain death and destructions. I can cover your doorpost with my blood. I am that perfect lamb. I am that sacrifice. And just like the Israelites, Jesus says, I can rescue you from death. I can redeem you from destruction. And if you don't know Jesus today, I'm begging you, open that door for him. He is standing there, and he is knocking, and he wants you to open that door. All you have to do, it's simple. Turn, just turn to him. Tell him in your own words, just right here in this moment, say, I trust you, Jesus. I thank you for being my all-time sacrifice. Paint the door of my life with your blood. Rescue me, redeem me, and he will do it. And if you've ever opened that door to Jesus, whether it's in this moment or in the past, then you are no longer a slave. You are free. I said you are no longer a slave. You are free. So we're going to take a moment right in the middle of this message. We're going to celebrate the passing over of our death to life. Because the night is gone. And you were slaves, but the morning has come and you are free. You are no longer a slave. Sing this out. Stand up and sing this out with us. Amen. You may be seated. You are no longer slaves. You are free. You and I are free. We've been redeemed and rescued from the land of Egypt, from that land of sin. And we have freedom. We have life everlasting. It's so awesome. But you know, salvation is not an ending. 
Salvation is just a beginning. And the Israelites had escaped Egypt, and God had made a way for them through the Red Sea. And God led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His presence led them. And they followed him all the way to this mountain, to Mount Sinai. And once at Mount Sinai, God told them, he said, make a sanctuary for me. And I will dwell among you. Did you know that God wants to dwell among you? His presence among us. God wants to dwell among us, and he wanted to dwell among the Israelites. But to do so back then, he needed a dwelling place. He needed a meeting place. He needed a tabernacle. And so God gave the Israelites very specific instructions on how to build all of these sacred things that he needed to dwell within them. And the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were the two most important things. The Ark of the Covenant was where the glory of God was going to reside at that time. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, it was a sacred box. It was 45 inches long by 27 inches wide by 27 inches high. And it was made out of Acadia wood. They had special craftsmen that made this beautiful, beautiful box. And it was overlaid inside and outside with pure gold. The cover for the ark was the most important part of the ark. It was called the place of atonement or the mercy seat. And it was pure gold, the whole thing. And on each end of the cover, there were two cherubim. And they were molded into the cover, making the whole thing one solid piece of gold. Amazing craftsmanship. And the two cherubim, they faced each other. And they had their wings spread. And they were covering the place of atonement that place on the middle of the box called the mercy seat. That's where the presence of God dwelt, right above the place of atonement, above the mercy seat. In Exodus 25, 22, God says, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you. And so they then built the tabernacle or the dwelling place, the meeting place. And the tabernacle consisted of a tent-like structure with this external courtyard. It was 150 feet by 75 feet wide. And the whole compound was surrounded by a high fence, about seven feet in height. Now, this specific layout of the tabernacle and its courtyard are very significant because it shows God's way for man to approach him. The whole compound was surrounded by this seven-foot-high fence, and it only had one entrance. A person could not simply come from any direction into the tabernacle. As he pleased, he had to enter through one gate, one door. There was no other way to get inside just through that one door, through that one gate. So when Jesus arrived on the scene some 1,500 years later, every Israelite knew what he meant when he said, I am the gate. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They knew exactly what that meant. There's only one way to access God. One gate, one door to go through. His name is Jesus. And upon entering that gate, you would encounter the brazen altar where you would present your animal sacrifice. And then you would give control over to the high priest who would make atonement and intercession for you in the holy place. The holy place was the little tent in the middle of the compound. And there was an inner room inside of the holy place called the Holy of Holies, or the Most Holy Place. This was a sacred room, a place where no ordinary person could enter. And the Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. It was 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. And this is where the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence was kept, in the Holy of Holies. 
And a thick curtain, a barrier, separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And this curtain was known as the veil. It was made of all these fine linens of different colors. And the word veil in Hebrew literally means a screen or a divider, a separator that hides. You see, it shielded a holy God from a sinful man. Man could not approach that holiness of God in all of his glory. And whoever entered that holy of holies entered the very presence of God. And if anyone entered except for the high priest, they would immediately die. Immediately. A holy God could not be in that same place with a sinful man. And even the high priest, God's chosen mediator with his people, could only pass through that veil and enter that sacred dwelling place one time during the year on a specific day, a prescribed day called the Day of Atonement. You see, this veil was a door. It was a barrier between man and God. And even as the high priest entered the Holy of Holies on that Day of Atonement, that one day each year that he was permitted to go in, he had to make some meticulous preparations. He had to wash himself very carefully. He had to put on special clothing. And then he would crawl under and through this veil and at the same time bringing incense in front of him so the smoke would rise up and shield his eyes from a direct view of God. If he didn't do those things, he would die. So doing all of these things, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And he would atone for his sins and the sins of the Israelites. And the priest would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat where the very presence of God was between the cherubim to appease the holiness of God for the sins of man. This was the only place in the world where this atonement could take place. And when the priest emerged from the Holy of Holies or the tabernacle, later the temple, it was filled with a cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord, it says. You know, a few weeks ago, my family was on vacation. And we were staying at the, the sixth floor of this, this hotel, this resort. So we had to take an elevator to go down. Well, we didn't have to, but we we're lazy or on vacation, right? And so if your kids are like mine, they love pressing the buttons on the elevator. So we have to take turns and make assignments. Otherwise, it gets very confusing whose turn it is. So it was Bennett's turn. We're on the sixth floor. We're going down, and he was in charge of the elevator that, that time. And he pressed the button, and the elevator door opened. And he jumped in, and he meant to press the open door button so that the rest of us could come in. But instead, he pressed the closed door button. And before we could even see what happened, the doors closed, and he was gone. Now, Jules thought that he had permanently disappeared forever. That was, a, that was an incident we had to talk through with her. But Benny, we found him, no worries. We found him later. He was just down there chilling on the first floor waiting for us. But he was shielded from us by those doors. And this barrier prevented us from getting to him. Just like that veil, that barrier shielded the Holy of Holies from mankind. There was a barrier, it was a curtain, it was a door between man and the presence of God. And this was no simple curtain. This was not like something that your wife would put up to uh, dress the windows, okay? This was a serious barrier. The veil we're talking about was about four inches thick, four to six inches thick. We don't know exactly, but from historians we know is at least four inches thick. 
It was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide. And the moment when Jesus, our perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, died on the cross and he cried out, It is finished. He was proclaiming in that moment that the age of animal sacrifice was over. See, the ultimate sacrifice and final sacrifice had been offered once and for all, for all mankind. And in that moment when Jesus cried out, it is finished, and his spirit gave up and he died, the curtain, that veil, that huge veil, was torn from the top to the bottom, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. The veil that blocked the presence of God from the people of God, that barrier, that door was ripped wide open. And the Holy of Holies was now exposed. Check this out, Hebrews 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow a dim preview of the good things to come. For God's will for, was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as the single sacrifice for sins good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we now can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. By the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus, we can now stand in his presence, something that we couldn't do before. Now we are holy and blameless by the blood of Jesus. That door, that barrier has been blown wide open. I hope you're seeing this. Hebrews 6, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. Your high priest, Jesus, has gone before you. The curtain, the barrier, the door, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. It's gone. It's wide open. And listen to me carefully. Listen. And now instead of being shielded from the presence of God, you are now the one that carries his very presence inside of you. You are now the tabernacle. You are now the temple that carries his very presence. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives inside of you? See, if you're a believer in Jesus here today, then you are the temple. There's no need for a tabernacle anymore. There's no need for a holy of holies anymore because you carry his presence. You are a carrier of the very presence of God. That is unbelievable. See, you, when you and I walk through different doors each and every day, here's the question today. What are we going to carry into those rooms? What are you carrying into those next rooms? You see, whatever walks through the door sets up the atmosphere for that room. And just because we have his presence within us does not mean that we always carry it well. I've seen negativity walk through the door. I've seen fear walk through the door. I've seen shame walk through the door. I've seen selfishness walk through the door. I've seen anger walk through the door. And if negativity walks through the door, 
it sets up a negative atmosphere in the room. If fear walks through the door, it sets up a fearful atmosphere in the room. I think you're getting it. If anger walks through the door, it sets up an angry atmosphere in the room. But listen, if the power and the presence of Jesus Christ walk through the door, then what happens? We have to be mindful. We have to be intentional about what we carry through the next door. What are you going to carry into the next room? the next opportunity are you going to carry the spirit of the living god or the spirit of something else you see earlier this morning several hours ago people walked through these doors and some of them set up the chairs that you're sitting on right now and they were set up intentionally with purpose and meaning i know that sounds trivial but they were and as they set them up as these people set them up they prayed over this space They were intentional. They carried something in with them, and the atmosphere changed. Some of them came in early to set up for your kids, and they've been intentionally praying and planning for days before walking in here. They've been praying for your family. They've been praying for your children, but they carried something in with them this morning, and the atmosphere changed. Some people came in really early and they set up this screen and this awesome door behind me. And as soon as they walked in, do you know the first thing they did? They prayed for the spirit and the power of God to be in this place. They carried something in with them and the atmosphere changed. See, one way or another, everyone who came to this place this morning carried something in with them. Every door that we walk through is an opportunity to bring the presence and the power of God into that space. And we must be intentional about what we are carrying into the next room. We carry life or death through the next door that we walk through. And we are his temple. We are carriers of the, his presence, and we must do it well. That is our calling, to be carriers of his spirit that change the atmosphere of each room that we walk into. Not because of us, but because of Christ in us. On Friday night, a couple of nights ago, a lot of you were there at the Riverman game. We had a great time, family night, great game. If you missed it, the Riverman scored with 16 seconds left in the game, and they won in overtime, and that was exciting, but it wasn't the best part. After the game, we were invited. We were invited several months ago. Andrew Cohen set this up, and, and Phil and Paul worked on this very hard. They were intentional. We were invited. Phil was invited to sing a few worship songs before this pastor got up and gave a salvation message. Now, if you've been to the Civic Center, you know that it seats about 10,000 people. There was about three to 4,000 people that night for the, the Riverman game. Probably only 40 or 50 people stayed for this moment. But it was the best moment that that building has seen in a long time. Because the people, Phil, Paul, Andrew, they were intentional about what they were bringing in there. They knew that they were carriers of his spirit. And as Phil sang with just his acoustic guitar, just sang three songs, and people, those 40 people that were left there belting them out, you could feel the spirit and the presence of God in that place. And I know people's lives were changed. We may not know till eternity what actually happened that night, but it changed the atmosphere of a 10,000-seat auditorium. And it made you be just a shadow of something to come. We don't know, but we were obedient, and we carried his presence with us, and we did it well. 
It was an opportunity. It was a door that we were able to walk through. And anytime we have an opportunity to walk through a door and lift up the name of Jesus is an opportunity that we should take. When King David first became king of Israel, one of the first things he did was to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the tabernacle he had built in Jerusalem. You see, the ark was missing. It had been stolen by the enemies, the Philistines, for several years. It wasn't in its proper place. Remember, that's where the glory of God resided. They, they hadn't seen Jesus yet. They don't ha- they did, their curtain wasn't torn for them. That was the presence of God for them. And everyone was so excited. King David was so excited, remember, that he danced and jumped and leaped before the Lord. There were songs, there was dancing, there was, the whole country was there, it says. Because the glory of God was coming up this hill to Jerusalem and about to enter the city and go into its rightful spot in the tabernacle. The presence of God was coming. David's, or God's presence was about to enter the city. So with all of this backdrop, David wrote this psalm, Psalm 24. I read it to begin this message tonight but now you have an understanding of what it means. David said, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, Jehovah. He is the king of glory. David said, lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. He's not talking to the people to lift their heads up. He's talking to the doors. He says, lift up your heads, you gates. The heads of the doors is the lintel, the horizontal support beam across the top of the door. It needed to be lifted up. It was not high enough. Those doors, those lintels, they were ancient. They had seen many kings come through them. They had looked down perhaps on Melchizedek, the king of Salem. But in all the centuries of all the kings that those doors had ever opened for, they had never seen this. Those doors had never seen a king like this. And David says, lift up your heads, you gates. The doorway is too small. It needs to be enlarged. Church, the doors that you pass, you and I pass through each day, we are his temple. We carry the very presence of God, and God is saying, lift up your heads. Lift those doors higher. You've never seen a king like this. You have no idea what I want to do in and through each of you. If you open up the doors in your life, but you have to make space for the presence of God to go before you. The door of your heart, it's too small. You need to enlarge it, and he'll enter in. The door of your home, it's not big enough. Make space because he wants to dwell among you. The door of your friendships, make them wider. Those doors, those opportunities, make space for me. With your children, those doors are too small. You have access now, church. The veil is gone. His presence has been released upon you. So it's time to make room, make space. The door of your marriage, the door of your marriage, it's too low. Raise it higher so the king can enter in. You've never seen a king like this. Everywhere you go. Every door that we walk through, every room that we enter, we carry his presence. Lift up those gates. Make them higher. Lift them up, you ancient doors. We carry his presence. Lift them up so the king 
the king of glory can come in. Would you pray with me? There are some doors in your life that you and I need to make wider. There are some rooms in our lives that you and I need to walk through, but this time we need to carry his presence in there. God, may we never look at a door the same way again. May we see each new doorway that we walk through, every room that we step foot in, as an opportunity for us, your church, your temple, your tabernacle, your dwelling place, that every room we walk into, that we would carry the presence and the power of God. Because what we carry through the doorway sets the atmosphere for the next room. And that atmosphere needs to be you, Jesus. Imagine a church, imagine a people that was intentional about bringing the presence of Jesus through each door that they walked through. God, today we commit to lifting the gates higher, making the doorways wider and bigger, making space for you so that the King of glory can enter in. And all God's people said, Amen.